0: I love playing games with my wife, but she doesn't always like playing them with me. Yeah, it's just been gathering dust, but one day...
1: There must be one game that she'll that like.
0: Yeah, Animal Crossing, but i that's I, uh, one game I can't stand. So, we have tension, I guess, there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello there, listener, and welcome to the 27th Roundtable episode of the Metacast. My name is Nico, and today I'm joined by Aaron Bush, Jonathan, Ras Friedman, and Mika Ahonen. And today we're discussing PlayStation Spartacus, Tencent that wants to increase its stake in Supercell. We're talking about the Game Awards, and then at the end as our bonus segments. We're not doing bold predictions. Well, kind of bold predictions. We're doing um, what most anticipated game will be the most successful from the most anticipated games uh, from the Game Awards, and then uh, which one we are most excited for. Before we start, quick update. So so I went to Helsinki for Slush. It was freezing, but Mika and I got to hang out. We had some beers, so we bonded. Basically best friends now. I also went to the sauna in Helsinki and I freaking went into the sea at minus 10. I, I did all that stuff and it was amazing. And I also had the chance to, to speak to a few listeners, which was absolutely amazing. It's like this podcast thing, you know, you, you just, you, you send these episodes out there and it's really nice to talk to listeners, get some feedback, uh, discuss, you know, interesting topics. So that was, that was fantastic. So uh, how are you guys doing?
2: Great. I haven't been to Slash, but I have been to Helsinki in the past and it's a very special city with special people and taking a sauna Thanks. in freezing cold uh <laughs> is, a, is 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 a, is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's very special.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember you saying sorry, I just remember you saying Nico, we were talking about how like someone recognized you by your voice and not even but like, you know by your your face or anything yeah. and I thought that was that was pretty funny and awesome.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's actually one problem so in in the crypto space Almost everyone is using like and if, and like some kind of profile pic uh, NFT as their profile pic. So you have no clue what they look like. Um, I guess uh, it's more important. Like, yeah. So you, you can more often have people just buy their voices.
3: And so Mika, how are you doing, man? Uh, yeah, I mean, thanks for the ni- nice words about Helsinki. Um, so no, no sun in Helsinki anymore at this time. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're doing fine at, at Lightheart. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Otterfire is still going strong and working on a new game as well. Uh, so yeah, no no complaints. Cool, very exciting. All right, so let's let's dive in. So uh, first topic of the day:
1: PlayStation Spartacus. Um, so Sony is allegedly, so nothing nothing is is confirmed here, um, planning a new subscription service to compete with Microsoft's Xbox Game Pass. The service, codenamed Spartacus, will allow PlayStation owners to pay a monthly fee for ac- for access to a catalog of modern and classic games. And so the launch of PlayStation Spartacus is expected in spring and the service will merge Sony's two existing subscription plans. So PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now. And so the details are not yet finalized, but um, documentation revealed by Bloomberg outlines a service with three tiers. So in the first tier, you get to the normal PlayStation Plus benefits, which means that you can just play online multiplayer games and you have some free monthly titles. Um, The second tier offers a large catalog of PlayStation 4 and eventually PlayStation 5 games. And then the third tier gives extended demos, game streaming and a library of classic PS1, 2, 3 and PSP games. So first thoughts, Aaron, I I know you have some.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, PlayStation has a pretty huge user base. Um, they even have a pretty huge subscriber base. So PlayStation Plus subscribers, I think there are over 45 million of them at this point. And so even if you compare PlayStation Plus to Game Pass on the subscription front, even though PlayStation Plus is probably less interesting than Game Pass and all they've done there so far, it actually is a bigger business. And so really in my mind, this is about, I mean, it is all about PlayStation, whereas you know, Xbox Game Pass, they've kind of shifted their focus you know, from optimizing the business based on, you know, units sold to just serving the most users wherever they are on whatever hardware platforms. Um, this change by PlayStation isn't exactly that. I don't think. I don't think they're necessarily trying to serve everyone, no matter where they are. They're just trying to create a better, deeper subscription experience for the one hundred plus billion um, you know PlayStation users that are out there. And so, in my mind, this is more about increasing the value proposition of being a PlayStation user and subscriber and through doing so also potentially increasing the unit economics. But of course, we still, you know, everything is rumored and alleged at this point. So we'll get more specific details um, as they come. But, you know, from a high level, I think it makes a good amount of sense.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's an evolution, really, and it just makes sense from a kind of productization point of view. Uh- Having both PlayStation now and PlayStation Plus, at least to me, it was really confusing. I always had to like go back to my my menu in in PlayStation and uh, and figure out like which one I was actually buying and which one was which. So having those two merged instead, it's just kind of a sensible thing to do. Also, just from the like consumer facing point of view.
1: Mm-hmm. Aaron, do you know by heart the difference in pricing between? Xbox, Game Pass, and uh, I think PlayStation Plus?
3: No,
0: I mean, I sort of forget off the top of my head. With with all of them, they have different prices based on how, how long you're a subscriber. Um, and so I think it kind of depends. I think that, though, I mean, if you are a PlayStation Plus plus PlayStation Now subscriber, that probably puts you into a price territory that's similar to Game Pass Ultimate, I would expect, which, um, you know... On the PlayStation side, that gives you, you know, online play, you know, access to, like, the free game of the month, the PlayStation 4 Classics backlog, plus access to some cloud gameplay through PlayStation Now, uh, which has, you know, a decent library, but is probably under underutilized, sort of as Mika was saying. It's just, like, it hasn't been optimized well. The branding has been a little confusing. Um, and on Game Pass like they have been smarter about just like clear tiers. Like you can either just get online or you can get game pass to get the full library or you can get ultimate to get everything, everything. And I think, um, you know, switching from kind of two services that are side by side, to more of a tiered approach is gonna make sense. And the pricing at the end of the day is probably gonna be pretty similar between the two.
1: And so, yeah, do you expect, cause they currently you said have more than 45 million subscribers. Does that mean that they'll immediately have more subscribers for this new uh, new thing than uh, Xbox has with their what is it like about 20 million?
0: Um well I guess we'll we'll see and how they do the tiers. I wouldn't necessarily compare PlayStation Plus as it is today with Xbox Game Pass. I would compare whatever mm-hmm. tier is right above PlayStation Plus to whatever, you know, Game Pass is today that provides that fuller library. And so it really is a conversion game. How can they Increase the value proposition in a way that is going to get, you know, however many, you know, percentage of those PlayStation Plus subscribers to convert into the higher tiers. And so, if they can get fifty percent to convert, that'll probably put them maybe, maybe a little less. That will probably put them on about equal footing with Game Pass. That's probably not going to happen out mm-hmm. of the gate. That's a really big percentage. Um, but I, I do think you know they still can create something meaningful. And if you get you know ten million. 20 million subscribers um, to to join a higher tier. That's that's a pretty meaningful you know jolt for your business. The big question in my mind um, that that could differentiate the approaches between these two companies a bit is honestly like the best value proposition of Game Pass is that you get all of Xbox's first party properties on day one of their release. And I sort of doubt that PlayStation is going to move immediately in that direction. It's probably going to be more of a, you still have to buy the games individually, but you can also you know, get access to this full library, maybe get access to certain bonuses that you wouldn't have otherwise in these games. But if they do somehow make it where you can get all of these games on day one, I think that would make the conversion rate shoot a lot higher. But there are you know, very clear cost-benefit trade-offs that the business needs to make and my feeling is they're probably not ready to completely transform their business. Although maybe down the road, I could see something like that being more realistic.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I was doing some research and I, uh, I read an article from September 2020 where the PlayStation chief, Jim Ryan, said that we're not going to go down the road of putting new releases into a sub- subscription model. These games cost many millions of dollars, well over 100 million to develop. We just don't see that as sustainable. So uh, it seems like he agrees with what you're saying. So um, that's interesting to see when, when that will change. Uh, Jan, what are your your thoughts on this?
2: PlayStation are doing what they have to do given the enormous amount of, subscribers, of of users they have and it makes sense to piggyback on what Xbox has done I do think Xbox is you know ahead of ahead of them in terms of the subscription offering but I kind of I would challenge the what PlayStation said in terms of the subscription doesn't make sense when you invest millions of millions of dollars um that's probably a relatively short-sighted comment but Look, I think it's new to them. They're on the more conservative side of subscription. And I think ultimately it's really about the economics of what developers take, what their first party titles cost and so on and so forth. But as as a, as a user, I think it makes a ton of sense. I feel like Game Pass has been a really strong pool of users for Xbox. Um, I'm just concerned for PlayStation that they're, it took them such a long time to introduce something more unified.
1: Mm. That's interesting. And so if I understand you correctly, you think that the number of games developed, or at least AAA games or, or high quality games developed under a subscription model um, is only going to increase in the future?
2: I, I believe so, because I think you. we now have a global audience of consumers who have been trained for the past few years that the way you consume content is in the form of subscription. I don't think this is going away I think this is only going to increase. And that's part of wider, bigger trends of people subscribing, people renting, kind of the on-demand economy. I really think it's still in its early stages. In general, I feel more and more people wanna own less and wanna have access to. And I think this new generation of consumers, people who are now kids, I don't think that's going to change. I only think this is going to accelerate. I might be wrong, but that's sort of my perception of
0: reality at the moment.
1: That's interesting. you agree, Aaron?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Uh, I mean, I think the subscription model is going to become more important. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, people kind of talk about subscription wars that are brewing. I don't know if it'll quite be a war. Um, but I think there can be more than one winner. PlayStation will define. Nintendo could probably, should probably do something similar like this too um again xbox is different because they optimize not necessarily for like their units sold but to serve the mass number of audience and that's not what playstation is doing and because of that even if even though they are also going to a subscription model like that keystone approach is still a little bit different so i think there's a chance that you know even though playstation is larger than Um, you know, Game Pass and Xbox today, just as the gaming industry continues to grow in more and more ways that PlayStation kind of clinging to their same um, approach, which again, isn't bad. They have a big business, big profitable business based on it, but they're just going to become increasingly niche um, as the industry expands around it. We saw that with Nintendo, Um, you know, the industry changed a lot. Nintendo kind of continued to do their same thing. That's fine. They have a big business, but I think you just kind of have to recognize the trade-offs that they're making there. And so, I mean, personally, like I kind of enjoy seeing companies that want to be the ones to innovate on the industry and help grow it and evolve it, uh, which is more Xbox than PlayStation right now. But um, there's room for both of them to be successful, in my opinion.
2: And and by the way, Nintendo does have a subscription. Uh, I'm subscribed to that. It's just a very shallow subscription of a few bucks a month. That gives you access to all titles from Nintendo. I think I'm paying five five dollars a month, but yes, it's by no means even remotely close to what Xbox is offering.
1: Hmm. So that's the subscription that's stopping me from visiting other people's islands in Animal Crossing, because I'm too cheap to buy a subscription <laughs> for my uh, my Switch. Interesting. Yeah. Um. So assuming that more and more triple A titles become available under a uh, subscription service. What do you think, like, will this have an effect on the quality of these games, the type of these games? Will we see more single player, um, or less single player? Um, what are your thoughts on, on that moving forward, if, if any? Don't you think that that will have any effect? What do you think, Mika? Uh,
3: I think, like, good content will be good content also in the future. I'm not actually concerned about that at all. Um, there's also the fact that, I mean, the industry talks a lot about A. But in fact, the kind of lines between an indie game and a double-A game and a double-A game and a triple-A game, and even like these, I don't know what, what you call a game that is like a GTA 5 caliber, like 500 million or whatever in budget. It's, it's a continuum, right? So um, I don't think that affects the type of experiences we get as much as uh, the funding for those. I do think what might be affected is is smaller independent studios which are kind of under this more consolidated model uh where consumers can get a lot of good quality games for a very cheap um they will have a hard time making kind of the economics work for them, but that's been kind of the writing has been on the wall for many many years uh even with the free to play model as well so that isn't really a big change, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm.
1: What do you think, Aaron?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we'll continue to see success of many different types of games, more types of games than ever before. Um, but I do think we'll probably see a continued shift from third-party games to first-party games. Just A subscription model just naturally lends itself to consolidation and bundling. Um, that's just the, <laughs> the reality of the economics there. And so, um, I mean, you see that with with both Microsoft and Sony. Um, you know, on the Microsoft side, they've continued to acquire a bunch of studios. Bethesda, you know, sort of was their was their their biggest move so far. But we'll continue to see more because, again, to to add to grow the value of your subscription offering to get more people in it, you have to you know add more games and bigger games and more types of games. Um, and then on the Sony side. Um, I think like over the past year, they've made like five studio acquisitions or something that are all working on on different things. I don't know if that necessarily, you know, these moves necessarily change the types of games that'll become popular or anything. People will play, you know, all sorts of things. But um, I think the shift to first party is real. And that's going to be a pretty defining force in shaping what subscriptions when, um, just as budgets continue to increase. We saw that in video with Netflix and HBO and all of that. And we'll. See a similar trend in um, in gaming, I think. And then, yeah, I mean, I think Mika's right, um, or I think it was Mika who said it, maybe it was someone else, <laughs> that um, smaller, smaller players will probably be affected. And so I think um, we'll see both a shift from third party to first party, but also more partnerships um, and more like exclusive release windows and things like that. Um, and I sort of the question in the back of my mind is. Um, it's pretty obvious, like where Nintendo stands, where Xbox stands, where PlayStation stands, where the big three stand. But you know what's going to happen longer in terms of companies like Ubisoft and EA and Activision, um, just kind of like the other big publishers when it comes to subscription models. Uh, like Ubisoft Plus exists, EA Plus exists, but also you can get access to it through Game Pass. On their own, they don't really make sense. They can't be that competitive. Maybe they slightly increase the unit economics for whoever subscribes to it, but it's not like a big multi-million dollar subscriber kind of business that really moves the needle. So I sort of wonder, like, are we going to see more of those also get partnered into these bigger subscriptions? Are we almost going to see like a Hulu model where like from video, like you see a lot of the big like video like producers come together under one service to you know create their own platform that they all co-own like something like that maybe it's far-fetched but could be interesting so that's kind of more the the tier at this point that i'm trying to think through um but yeah we'll see what happens
1: Mm -hmm. yeah interesting um cool all right let's uh move on to our next topic which is Tencent to increase its Supercell stake. So Supercell has seen its revenue fall nearly every year since Tencent's acquisition of a majority stake in 2016. And so the information now reports that the Chinese internet giant is to boost that stake in Supercell at a valuation of roughly $11 billion, which is 10% higher than the valuation in 2016. And it will do that by buying some of the shares held by the partners um, that it had when it took like that initial majority position in 2016. Um, First question, um, yeah, just general thoughts. Mika, the day I saw you, I passed by the Supercell offices, which are really awesome from the outside, at least.
3: (laughs) So uh, thoughts on this? Uh, Yeah, I mean, my take would be that it's actually very much business as usual for both parties. Um, Tencent already had the majority stake. Um, and this is basically just the financials i guess i guess uh, if 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 I would read into it more, uh I would say that it's a talent play more than anything else uh it it's 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 not saying that Tencent believes or doesn't believe in any current soft launch games or or whatnot, but if you look at it on a grand scale, Tencent has been doing kind of talent plays all over the world uh for the past mm-hmm. 10 years. And uh during the past couple of years, the competition uh for talented game developers, uh, it's been just getting more and more fierce. And uh also during the during the past ten years, Supercell has hired a lot of really, really, really good uh talented developers and uh actually they've managed to keep a good chunk uh working there as well. So uh yeah, uh I guess that would be my my five cents on that.
1: Mm-hmm. I, um, I met a director of Tencent a few weeks back and he told me like, yeah, Tencent, we don't know what we're doing. We just buy companies that do know what they're doing and, uh, and that's how they become successful. So uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And so um, I found it interesting that the the valuation is 10% higher than uh, five years ago. So on one hand, this is super low comp- compared to the valuations we see in the market today. And on the other hand, um, super sales revenues have, have been de- declining as well. So, I'm uh, interested to hear your, your thoughts on that. Uh,
3: so, on, on the valuation, or, okay, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think what you should also consider is that uh, there's a lot of people uh, that have uh, stock incentives at Supercell. And it's probably in um, 10 cents' interests to also keep the people who are employed at Supercell incentivized by their stock based incentives. So, if they can decide what the valuation is, they will probably put our valuation that is like, does it make people angry if they had stock incentives?
1: That's a really interesting take. What do you think of that, Aaron?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the transaction, for the most part, is probably a non-event. I also read it as, um, you know, there are a bunch of investors that were in the consortium with Tencent that invested, you know, five years ago or whenever that, didn't see the return that they wanted to. And so they're probably looking for a liquidity event of some sort. And Tencent was able to provide an easy out. It doesn't really move the needle much for Tencent. They were able to move the valuation up slightly Mm -hmm. um, and they were able to give the people who wanted out, out. Um, So I don't think the transaction itself is all that interesting, although an $11 billion market cap is still pretty meaningful. I mean, Zynga today is maybe like a $7 billion market cap. Um, And so I I mean, it still is optimistic. Like, it still is pricing in growth of some sort. I don't know exactly, you know, the you know how Supercell performed financially in 2021, but if you take that price on the 2020 numbers, that's about seven times their sales and about 30 times their like earnings, roughly. Um, So that that does price in growth. And so the real question is like, what does Tencent see in Supercell that makes them think that they can Change and and grow from here, and I don't know. I mean, when I look at Supercell, I mean, I think they have maybe a more diversified business than they were five years ago. They maybe have more irons in the fire, um, kind of working on more games. They have like a venture arm that's invested in a bunch of other studios too. So I kind of get it, um, but I'm curious what you guys think in terms of like the Supercell growth opportunity from here and you know, whether the downward spiral of the past few years, is is it going to start spiraling upwards now? Uh, Have things really changed?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, my take is, first, I think it's mostly focused on liquidity. I think it's liquidity for employees, liquidity for those investors that Aaron mentioned. I think that makes a lot of sense. Look, the acquisition was five years ago. And so revenue has been going down. That's not great. And so, Makes sense. I think it's a valid argument to assume this is about liquidity. The thing that is probably concerning is that revenue going down and after five years, the company only increased its valuation by by 10 percent in a world where the space is hot and there's growth across the board. I think that's that's interesting, like to Aaron's point, 11 billion is a significant valuation. But on the other hand, it's only 10 percent from five years ago in a growth industry in a growth area. Um, So something just doesn't add up. And, you know, I think an objective observer might look at it and say, is Tencent taking out other investors who are not confident anymore about the growth? And now they can deploy further their approach, um, looking at other successes like Riot. Riot has been expanding enormously in other verticals of the business as well. And it may be, it might be that Tencent is looking at Supercell and they're like, hey, look, your sister company, of which we are also majority owner or, or full owners of, is doing all of these incredible things. You know, we would love to see you guys try and some of that as well. And so I think there's probably just a bunch of different things that are happening to really position Supercell as an organization. Uh, to be able to tap into some of these concrete opportunities as mobile gaming market becomes much more saturated, much more competitive. Um, And it wouldn't be crazy to assume that Tencent is looking at Supercell and trying to figure out what are those new growth vectors to not only justify, Aaron, the 11 billion valuation, but how do we turn these to a 20 billion and maybe also spin it off as as a publicly traded company at some point. So I think there's probably a bunch of things at play that we don't know and I love when um, people from big Chinese companies saying we don't know what, to, what we're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They're very strategic. They're very smart. They're very thoughtful. They know exactly what they're doing. Uh, so I don't buy that self-deprecation, uh, if I may say so. Uh, they're they're incredibly savvy, and I think I think Tencent is is a majority owner or or, or a full owner of some of the most important interactive entertainment companies in in outside of China. Supercell and Riot, I mean, you're talking about two of the biggest mega brands in next generation gaming for to play um, IP owners. So the possibilities are are insane for a IP owner like Supercell. Um, So I think there's probably a bunch of things at play. I suspect we're going to hear more and see more from Supercell in the next two years beyond just core mobile games. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel there's other things at play that we're not aware
1: of. Mika, what were your, uh, what's like, what are your thoughts on Everdale um, from what you've seen until now? Is it successful, unsuccessful, good game? Um, What do you think?
3: Uh, Why Everdale specifically, actually? There's also two other games in soft launch, uh, Clash Quest and Clash Mini.
1: Those are also good to have uh, your thoughts on.
3: If you look at the, just like revenue download data from Sensor Tower app any. Uh, for example, all of those three look like not great, not awful. So uh, obviously it's hard to say because you only have the publicly available or semi-publicly available numbers, but uh, but they kind of look like uh, for a smaller company, probably Keeper or Supercell, it's a different story. Um, for a long time, they had this uh, idea that a new game that they launch has to be one billion dollars in lifetime revenue at some point. Um, so kind of like the, the the bar is set high, and kind kind of also uh, an interesting bar because you don't know beforehand if you're ever ever pass it. Uh, that's another discussion maybe. But uh, but I think all of these three games uh, fall into the territory that there's probably a profitable business in them, but is the scale enough for Supercell? If I would have to guess, I think those are the discussions mm. that they're kind of having, having in those game teams.
0: Do you think that Supercell should evolve their mentality? Um, just because I was just saying, it's like similar to what I said about Nintendo earlier, and how like the industry has kind of grown past Nintendo. Like the mobile industry has sort of been growing past Supercell over the past five years, um, and they've kind of, I, I think they have changed in some ways, but um kind of that same mentality is it holding them back do you think
3: i think they already did change that mentality okay. um i haven't heard the billion dollar uh like rhetoric anymore i think i guess for the past couple of years and i don't think the supercell of i don't know 2016 would have had three games in soft launch at once so i think they're already showing that they are willing to be a little bit more um open with what they launch into the public.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. I see a, a like a major parallel with you know VC investing, where when you look at a company, first thought you have like can this be a one billion dollar you know valuation company? And there's a lot of you know very profitable companies that will like won't ever make that or not not at least in the next you know, five to ten years. Um and so it makes sense to like, if you then look at, at like bigger or later stage investors, then again, they don't expect that at 10X anymore. Then they're more happy with the 3X with a company that's just sustainably, you know, generating cash flows. Um, so I guess maybe <laughs> uh, as, a, as a VC goes into, you know, private equity and, and doesn't look for the 10X anymore or the, or the 100X, um, maybe 10 or a Supercell needs to do the same. Not look for just games that can be this huge um, and just be happy with, you know, decent, decent games and, and just grow
0: that way.
3: Yeah, I think that's a like a very good uh, parallel, actually.
0: Yeah, and I was just going to say, like, they are a VC now. Like, they, they have invested in a bunch of other companies. So I think they are taking more shots. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know, you know, how they've evolved their thinking about what success in anything looks like, but it's pretty pretty clear that they have accelerated their pace at which they're you know both creating and investing probably recognizing that um they can't own all the winners (laughs) and um you know winners come in different forms and different genres etc so it's it's interesting i feel like when i started master the meta supercell was like the company like everyone um was like there was a lot of like worship around like what would supercell do like how like how like you know, they changed everything. Everybody's so inspired by them, and I think that's still the case to some degree. But even over the past couple of years, I feel like that mentality has shifted quite a bit. People don't um, refer to them the same way as they did even two years ago.
2: Look, this is this is very natural evolution of categories. You know, Supercell was probably the first one to fully commercialize and capitalize on free to play um co-play you know clash of clans in 2013 was like i remember being in london building my first company and looking at what kids do clash of clans was like i mean really a a phenomena uh for 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 several years and i think like in the case of big technology companies you get to a place where your first or second product is like making it at a billion dollar and you're like well now we only we should only build billion dollar product. Well, you know, everyone want to do that. Everyone just want to build a billion dollar product. The reality is that it's really difficult to do that. And every company proves that it's really difficult to do that again and again and again. And so, you know, I think Supercell just probably it took more time for them to realize that that it's not easy to <laughs> replicate billion dollar businesses and successes let alone How do you continue and grow a billion-dollar property to two billion, three billion, right? And which is why I think what Riot have been phenomenal at taking League of Legend and basically unbundling League of Legend to create more and more and more more properties. I think Supercell, to some extent, have been trying to follow that same route. Now I think recently they launched three Clash of Clans type of games, Um, but you know still it's not easy to. You know to do to pursue that strategy because ultimately you need to build something people love and it's this is you know this is games this is interactive experiences it's not you know nothing is is it's like movies no one guarantees that the next um, evolution is going to work but again this is why I'm saying there's obviously been a relatively plateau of the company in the last two to three years while there's just so much going on in the wider space in gaming metaverse web three there's just a lot of stuff happening and so it could well be that. Tencent as owner, even though I, I, from what I understand, there's incredible level of autonomy to the executives and the partners at Supercell. Um, there's pro- there, there there's certainly I'm sure conversations on, you know, where does where does um, Supercell goes from here? Um, and I think the valuation increase really, it's a leap service. Probably evaluation at that small margin means that basically it's a flat round they didn't really increase valuation. They did it just so it doesn't feel like there hasn't been any appreciation of the value. But 10% in five years for a company like that in this category, it's basically, they haven't grown. They've probably declined. So, and I think that's probably a red signal to Tencent as an owner um, and started to think through how does Supercell actually grows to that 11 billion valuation. That's just my interpretation of reality.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I am um, talking about riots. I'm uh, I'm trying to finish up Ruined King, so they're uh they're what is it turn based RPG? It's uh it's quite fun. Um, I think I'm I, I I managed to like break the game or it's like really unbalanced. I'm playing it on the hardest difficulty and it's really easy. Um, but anyway, um, cool. Um, let's go move on to the next topic. So the last topic of today, the game awards. So the Game Awards um is an award show honoring the best video games of the year. And it was held in LA on Thursday last week. Uh, and it was live streamed globally. I'm not interested in going through the whole list of <laughs> everything that's um that happened, like all, all of the games that got like awards and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's always interesting to talk about the game of the year, which was it takes two. Um I didn't play it. I'm actually interested to play it, but I don't have a console and I want to play with my wife, so um might have to like <laughs> find a solution there. Um has any of you play it?
0: No, it's been sitting on my shelf for like three months. I um I one of the great tragedies of my life that I'm sure many can relate to is I love playing games with my wife, but she doesn't always like playing them with me. And so yep. um yeah, it's just been gathering dust. But one day, one day we'll get it get it out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There must be one game that, that she'll like, right?
0: Yeah, Animal Crossing. She's obsessed with Animal Crossing, but i that's I one game I can't stand. So, we we have tension, I guess, there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. And you, Mika? Yeah, actually, it's kind of embarrassing. I didn't play any of the games that were nominated for the main reward. Um, I think I'll pick uh, Psychonauts 2 during the holidays.
0: Hmm.
2: And you, Yon? Um, I mean, I still think that um, I still think that animal crossing has been kind of a you know game changer experience. Um, but as I said, you know, before the podcast, I definitely, I'm definitely excited to play Psychonauts during during the holiday.
1: All right. Any other like I don't know? Did you guys follow the event or, or just not at all and just maybe looked up what happened?
0: Yeah. I mean, I watched
3: it live. Yeah, I think it was good. There was a reward for. I think it was called like continuous service or something, which is basically like running a live game. Uh, it feels to me like that's where the bulk of the, I guess, time spent and money spent is. But that, that section actually had games that I had tried, like Genshin Impact. And uh, yeah. there was something else there, I think.
0: Yeah. Normally that's like the, the battle royale section that they like compete with each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, I liked the Game Awards, I watched it live. Um, you know, as a player of a lot of console PC games, like it's fun to see all of these games celebrated as well, see what's being worked on in the future, um, which, you know, is a big component of the show too. And it's also cool to see the intersection of games and culture grow in real time, it feels like. Like there are a bunch of big names involved, mm-hmm. you know, athletes, actors, etc. cetera. Um, and the production grows year after year. So as a, So as a gamer, I, I really like it, but have fun with it. Um, you know as a as a games industry, like entrepreneur and analyst of sorts, though, I don't take issue with it, but like I recognize how niche it actually is and how, you know the game awards is almost too vast of a title. So, you know, even though the mobile gaming industry is larger than the PC industry and the console market, like it it barely gets any attention. Um, you know, console PC games, they get several awards for different. Genres and categories, mm. you know, both of which are deserved. Um, but there's only one mobile category, and <laughs> the winner was Genshin Impact, uh, which you know is a mobile game, but it's also a cross-platform game. So, um, you know, the awards like it's it's just niche, and it sort of kind of lives in like a past era of what's dominant. You know, it mostly ignores mobile; it almost entirely ignores you know Eastern games from that side of the world. It kind of looks down upon the rise of blockchain gaming and sort of kind of created its own echo chamber around a certain archetype of gamer so i think it's awesome it's just not enough like we we need more awards and more celebration for more more types of games like you know i'm sure maybe they exist somewhere but yeah like there should be like mobile game industry awards there should be roblox awards there should be like more like business oriented rewards or you know things that just like Celebrate the best of the industry in so many different dimensions that's that's kind of where I want to see this go. I don't know if it'll happen with the game awards, but um that's that's kind of my my mini rant about it i guess It's definitely very triple
2: a game console i mean uh, it's very old guard yet exciting mm. game awards, very you know triple a game console um I think to Aaron's point, it would be great to really diversify. But you know, talking to a few people from that in, from the industry, it's just there is it's also insulated, right? Triple A, high quality, big budget. There, it's kind of this very close guarded um, community, and and you know, I. I've spoke to a few people from AAA, and I'm like building on Roblox, and they don't really think of of, of us building in the same worlds. Um, and so, and and you know what? That's that's fine. I think you know, uh, uh, traditional industries tend to take the time until they evolve. So I I don't I don't expect to see an all encompassing Game Awards. Um, by the way, Aaron, there is a Roblox award. It's called the Bloxies, which Roblox runs every year, and it's really goddamn exciting. You see a lot of innovation, a lot of cool things. It's been happening remotely for the past
3: three years, um, and yeah, I think it's also a couple of uh, mobile game awards. Like uh, those exist, but I don't think they're as high profile as as the as the Game Awards.
2: <laughs> it's I think what's great about the Game Awards, it, it's definitely set the stage of like the wider industry, um, and and it's very high quality. They've done obviously great production. Um, well-executed, serious people creating it and running it and, you know, moderating it and great games. You know, we didn't mention, but Two of Us is a really innovative game. Um, I'm not surprised they won. It's really unique. It's really special. And, and so, but yeah, to Aaron's point, I would love to see the Game Awards expand to creator generation, to new emerging platforms, you know, blockchain, Roblox, mobile. The fact that it doesn't include mobile, it's kind of surprising given where mobile gaming is at the moment after 10 years of the it's like it's the biggest piece of, of video game industry and it's not represented. That's a bit weird. Um, so it's kind of an insulated console, triple A community. Um, and, and I think that's OK. But to Aaron's point, it would be great if it's can be expanded um, and include other emerging environments.
1: For me, it feels that the culture of, you know, the, what you say, the AAA console PC market is so much different from the mobile. And that's also so much different from, for example, the blockchain industry that it doesn't make sense for one organization to do all three. Um, In my head, it feels more, it makes more sense for like, you know, different parties to do that. Like, for example, blockchain games, man, like. I don't even know like how this would work, but there's gonna be like bored apes involved. Um, there's gonna be you know punks involved, there's gonna be like all of that, you know, internet native meme stuff involved. Um and so I, I guess like it only makes sense to have completely different organizations do these types of things where everyone focuses on, you know, their their niche of the gaming market that's becoming so big that you can't even have one, you know, event to cover the whole market anyway, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, you have you have Oscar, you have the Oscars, you have the Golden Globe, right? You have the Emmys. You're, so I I I te- I definitely Nico agree with your sentiment around there could be specialized events and experiences. Um, I can see that happens.
3: Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, there's always critique around these type of award shows because, like, however you do it, I don't think everyone will be happy. But uh, I don't mind. Uh, I think the purpose of these is still to be. Kind of a feel-good event, celebrating great games. I I don't care if my game doesn't win; it's still a valuable event, right? Uh, But on Nico's point, though, I think it's interesting that you said that, and I need interesting, like the talk about AAA console PC being insulated from uh, mobile or even free-to-play. But but actually, every year, I think that's less the case. Uh, Call of Duty is on mobile some of the biggest games out there, uh, Fortnite, Genshin Impact, they're like truly cross-platform. So, I mean, it's, it's converging and mm-hmm. it's kind of the free-to-play model is, is getting into everywhere, I guess.
2: It's still an afterthought, though, Mika. It's still an afterthought. Mm-hmm.
3: For Genshin Impact? For Fortnite? Well, I mean, you're talking about a
2: fraction of, 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 the, of the AAA landscape. You're talking about a fraction of the AAA landscape. In, 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 its, in, in its entirety it's a very small percentage and a lot of these are afterthought it's like oh we got to be on mobile it just took us five years to realize how we do it um versus how do you build sort of cross platform games in a native way from the beginning i think that's something we we're not yet seeing from majority of the players but yeah i mean it makes sense that it will happen uh over the coming years especially as these companies are learning how to operate uh, in, in cross devices um And so, but I still think I still think we're in the very early stages of adoption of AAA studios um, uh, adapting to mobile, and now you have blockchain and 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 metaverse, and you know there's like a few more phenomena that now they need to deal and wrap their head around. This is going to take a long time.
0: Yeah, you can never keep up. You're you're right about the 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 directionality of it, though, Mika. I mean, there are different ways you could go about it. You could have different events to celebrate different types of awards across the industry. That's probably, I mean, it's what already happens and probably what will continue to happen. You could also see like more, like one consortium of, you know, like kind of teams coming together to like put on like a week-long production of like, you have the game awards, like the big night, but then you also have like the spinoff, like the mobile awards or, you know, whatever else. So you could do things like that. But I don't know, it's probably not gonna happen. We just need the Navic Awards to to <laughs> to rise up and and fill in any of these gaps. But I don't know. I mean, it is more just for celebrating and having fun, more like it doesn't really impact business outcomes too much. It's more backwards looking than anything. Um but and so yeah, it's probably good to keep that in mind. We can nitpick <laughs> all we want, but the world keeps on keeps on spinning games, keep on being made and sold, so all as well. Mm-hmm.
1: I do plan on um, on trying out it Takes Two though. so uh, the, the they influence me. So they have uh, one extra sale. Boom, major Boom. impact. Um, all right, <laughs> uh, let's move on to the to the bonus segment. Um, so during the game awards, there was uh, the award for most anticipated game uh, with five nominations. So we had Elden Ring, God of War, Ragnarok, Horizon, Forbidden West then the sequel to The Legends of Zelda Breath of the Wild and Starfield. Um, actually, I removed from my list who won, so I don't know. <laughs> but who what actually won the award. Um, but you can find out online. But my question to you guys is, one, what game do you think will like be most successful? And two, which one are you personally most excited about? And those obviously can be the same thing. Mika, you can go first. Uh,
3: I actually just prepared my answer for my anticipated game so it will be the same um they had me at skyrim in space so it's going to be starfield for me. <laughs> um Love that. on the other hand uh, i don't think i'll play it at launch i think it's going to be broken <laughs> like <laughs> not not maybe cyberpunk broken but but i've learned my lesson so i will wait for a couple of patches until it it's it's uh it's it's fixed uh but out of those, I think it's the one that I'm looking forward to the most. Like these uh, like action RPG story-based games are what I kind of play for fun when I'm not uh, playing mobile games or sticky competitor games. They are so different to my daily work that I can actually like totally forget about work when I'm playing uh, Skyrim or Witcher or games like this.
0: Mm-hmm. Aaron, what do you think? so um elden ring is the one that won this year it also won last year so it's been most anticipated for two years in a row so anticipation is very high there (laughs) um for the the game that i think will be most successful um i think i'm gonna go with um you know breath of the wild part two um i I might have said starfield Mm. but i think it's almost comparing like apples and oranges now because it'll be part of game pass and so it's just like how do you measure success like Mm. it'll it'll have sold much fewer units it's not going to be on playstation um like it's it'll just be different but breath of the wild the first game um sold like 24 million units i think something like that like so the attach rate on the switch is insanely high like i think the switch has sold about like 100 million Mm. units maybe even a little bit less so the number of units sold is about its, like, attach rate as a percentage, um, which is crazy. And I, I imagine the next Zelda game is going to be like that, too. So I think, if I had to guess, that one will be the most successful, and the Switch just has, a, like, a pretty big um user base at this point. Uh, but the game that I am most looking forward to probably is God of War Ragnarok. I really enjoyed the first God of War game. It was awesome. Um I'll, I'll probably be, like you know, the the day it comes out, I'll be downloading and trying to play. So I'm very stoked for that one.
1: Nice. All right. Jan, how about you?
2: I'm I, I uh, I'm plus one on Aaron's prediction about Zelda. I think Breath of the Wild will be the most successful. I mean, if we can get to an agreed upon objectives of what success matrix are. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it's it's, there's going to be a lot of excitement and nintendo community folks are just very passionate um and and i'm excited to to play that as well um in terms of what i what i'm excited about playing is starfield um just really want to dig in and and get lost in in this um in, in in this experience so i'm excited to play that and then obviously just selfishly i'm really pumped about the winter update of our Roblox Experience Ballista that is going live <laughs> now and so excited to see players battling in this medieval world so recommending to check that out as well.
1: Nice. I'm actually a personally a big fan of medieval world so for me like Skyrim was the shit it's like in my top three best game like most favorite games and I've never really gotten too much into space games so for me although like some part of me wants to stay Starfield I'm, I'm more I think Elden Ring is gonna be more of my jam so um that's uh that's what I'm I'm looking forward to. Cool. All right, that was it. That was today's episode. Uh thanks, Mika, Erin, and Jan for your insights and your uh your fun personalities and, and being on the show with us. Listener, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, feel free to let us know. Give us a good rating, share it with your friends. Um, if you want to join the conversation, feel free to join our Discord. And with that, we're out. And we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers.